The format, this, the format of this meeting is two 10-minute speakers followed by our information break and then our main speaker who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker is Alex M. Hi everyone, I'm Alex, I'm an alcoholic. Um, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, so you may hear a little Southern accent poking through sometimes. I'm living here in um, New York City. My home group is um, Atlanta Group Friday Nights on the Upper West. My sponsor is Randy and my sobriety date is May 18, 2012. And I must say y'all, I really feel like I've made it to New York City because somebody chose me to speak at an Atlantic group meeting, you know? Like some people for, you know, moving into New York City, they're like, I've made it when I can get a dog and afford it, you know, or afford to get a dog or, you know, have kids and live in New York City. Me, no, I'm, I've made it because I get to speak at an Atlantic group meeting. So I'm just so happy to be here with y'all. Thank you so much. Um, just a little bit about my experience, strength and hope. Um, first, I'm gonna ask my higher power who I choose to call Big Mama uh, to just speak through me because I just have to remember I'm a vessel. Um, a little bit about my story. I started drinking when I was 14 years old. I think I actually started drinking before I was 14 years old, but um, because my cousins used to say that I used to sneak liquor when I was like nine. So, I mean, who knows, maybe. But, um, and I remember the first time I drank, I felt like I made it again, right? Um, I made it and I finally found the thing that solved all my problems, you know? Um, I really don't want this story to be about this, but I was sexually abused when I was in second grade. I was dealing with that. Um, I started having, you know, body dysmorphia, had an eating disorder, some of that. Um, I was very much bullied in grade school. So there's that too. So I always felt like I was on the outside looking in, you know, and um, finally felt cool. And I finally felt accepted, you know, and I became the girl who used to steal the beer from and liquor from her parents. And, um, bring it to parties and that was my that was me and so you know people invited me to parties because they knew I could bring the alcohol I mean maybe because of my shining personality too but you know who knows I guess um it escalated throughout high school but kind of stayed on the down low um and then when I got out of high school and when I got into college I mean I just jumped off the deep end I don't do you'll learn from my story but I don't do anything halfway my sponsor is trying to break me of that a little bit right now. But, um, you know, it's either like go big or just don't go, not even go home, just don't go, you know? And um, I drank so much um, and I just fell off the deep end. Um, I went to jail, I think three times in my freshman year of college. And, you know, I remember the RA sitting there and talking to me and she was like listen Alex if you get caught with alcohol again in your dorm you will get kicked out of this school you'll get kicked out and I was like okay I won't do it again knowing in my mind I gotta really figure out a way to not get caught with all this alcohol that I want to drink you know and even then I knew that I was powerless over this alcoholism even then I was 18 years old, knew I was powerless. Well, push comes to shove. I get arrested two more times within a month of each other, and I get kicked out of school. And um, yeah, so then I left there and I went to another school, um, and I tried to stay good for a little while, but then I didn't know. I was like, I don't even know who I am if I'm not the one that's throwing parties. I don't know who I am if I'm not the one that's drunk, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I always felt like I needed to smile. I needed to be the happy one. And um, so anyway, drinking escalated again. I think I got arrested three more times. Got 40 wise total, 40 years, 22. And I'm not saying that as like a bragging right, even though I used to crazy right it's like well you got to brag about it because if you don't brag about it you're gonna cry about it at least that's what i thought you know and um 
you're saying. My apologies. But anyway, so, and I just remember like, there are years where it's just like, the, I call them the lost years because I don't even know what happened, where I was at. I remember starting at a party one night, I blacked out and I woke up three days later in Panama City, Florida. Um, that was scary. That was scary. And I thought that was the scariest moment of my life, right? But I'll get to that soon, the actual scariest moment of my life. Um, anyway, I remember I was 22 years old and I had an ankle bracelet around my ankle, which like tested the ethanol coming out of your skin. I had one of those blow and goes um, in my car. I cannot believe I still had my license, but I did. They were about to take it anyway, so that's cool. Um, and I was like, I need, I can't do this to myself anymore. I'm about to die. I need help. And I felt so powerless because I didn't know who to turn to. And I didn't know how to stop, you know? I think that like my death, there's a lot of definitions of powerlessness. And one definition that I heard was, you know, you wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink today. And then in the afternoon or five minutes later, who knows, you are drinking, but you never made the decision to drink, you know? Um, and that's what I did. Um, at the end, it was really bad. And um, I, 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 my friend groups kept getting lower and lower of people who would tolerate my kind of behavior. Um, so I was just hanging out with I mean, people as desperate as I was really, you know. Um, yeah, and so then I got sober and I remember going to my mother and my father on Mother's Day, <laughs> telling them not only that I was an alcoholic, but that I got two DUIs in the past month and I need to go to rehab and I need help. And my parents, my mother said, you're not an alcoholic, you don't even have DTs. And I looked at her and I was like, I don't even know what DTs are, you know? But the craziest thing is, is that you don't have to have DTs to be an alcoholic, number one. And number two, hold on, I think I just got a text. Five minutes, thank you, five. That was two minutes ago, okay, great. So, and then I, um, but the great thing was that my parents supported me anyway, even though they didn't understand it. So um, I got sober. I lived in a sober living home in my college town. And that was the only way I could stay sober. And they taught me responsibility. And they taught me um, how to do my laundry and how to wash my hair regularly, literally, and how to go grocery shopping. And, you know, there's like these very small miracles that I experienced. You know, one of them was finishing a jar of peanut butter, literally. I've never finished a jar of peanut butter when I was drinking. And that was a small miracle to me, you know? Um, yeah. So I got myself a sponsor. I worked the steps. Um, that was amazing. Um, I just want to quickly talk about four, five, six, and seven. You know, I thought that for steps four and five were to get rid of my resentment against other people. And they were, but what I found most helpful is that they provided an inventory of my character defects and a roadmap to my assets. Um, for example, I crave attention, crave it. I mean, to the fact that like, I just, I've dated like three people within the span of like a year and a half and I've broken up with every single one of them. And like, I don't have any more back pocket girlfriends or boyfriends in my back pocket. So like, I'm kind of by myself now, which is actually really good. Um, but, you know, I crave attention, but these days I can know when I'm like craving attention. And the thing is, is that it doesn't matter how much I get, I always want more, you know? But the great thing is, is that now I can ask myself, who, who else can I help instead of craving that attention? Uh, just got the text, thank you so much, one minute. Um, yeah, let me just wrap it up real quick. Um, a lot of times I think that I need to be more cured than I am at nine years sober. And I need to be farther along. Um, 
you know, maybe I don't need to be acting out on these character defects or whatever it is, you know, need to be calling my sponsor more regularly. And then all that pressure keeps me from moving forward. And so I don't know if anyone else feels like that, but I feel like that all the time. And something that really helps me is like, number one, my sponsor telling me to relax, wait, slow down, (laughs) pause, you know? And another thing is just to remember that I'm human and my experience is what it is. And, you know, I remember when I was in early sobriety and I, I remember when I was in early sobriety and I um, wanted to take the elevator to the steps you know, but I'm super, super glad that I took it one step at a time because I got so much more out of it. So I have to remember that today. Um, yeah, that's what I have. And now it's my time. Just want to say, um, you know, something someone told me once, you know, you may not always be happy and you may not always be joyous, but you'll always be free. And that's what I feel one day at a time. I'm also looking, I don't know if this is appropriate. I'm so sorry if it's not, but I'm also looking to sponsor somebody. So if anyone is looking for a sponsor, maybe we can talk. All right. Thanks, everyone. Our second 10-minute speaker is Josh R. Hey, I'm Josh. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks, Alex. Great to hear you. And, and thanks to everyone uh, for their service and for asking me to speak and be a part of this group. It's a gift. Uh, it's a gift to be uh, at any AA meeting, but um, this meeting has particular importance in my recovery, um, which spans over 11 years, um, but uh, continuously um, since July 4th, 2011. Um, I started in AA in March 2010 had 100 days and I drank and then I had 11 months and two weeks and I took prescription pills. I counted days multiple times, but I always came back um, and to this point anyway, and I plan to keep coming back. Uh, and July 4th, 2011 is my uh, my sober date. And I have a sponsor named Zach who is on this call because um, I know he shows up and, uh, and he talked to me earlier to make sure I wasn't wearing sweatpants underneath this suit, which I'm not uh, because of him, even though I was going to. And um, I have a home group in New York City called Renewal West. We meet on Sunday nights at 7 p.m., both on Zoom and in person. All are welcome. Um, and I've worked the steps and I've worked with sponsees. And uh, on a daily basis, I write a gratitude list. I call my sponsor. I pray and meditate. I go to a meeting. Uh, and I, at least I, I, that's what I attempt to do. If I said I did that 365 days, I would be lying. Um, and I've been taught to be uh, honest and alcoholics anonymous. But that's, that's at least my goal when I wake up in the morning is to do those things, you know, because those are the tools that I've learned to help me stay sober. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, I, I tried not to think about what to say exactly uh, when I speak. I, I've heard there's three types of qualifications, the, the type you plan, the one you plan to say, the one you say, and the one you wish you'd said. Um, so I just kind of plan on telling the truth, you know. And, uh, but I was thinking about, you know, as Zach reminded me to, to speak to the newcomer, you know, somebody who may be on the fence, who may be struggling to stay sober, who may not know what a gift Alcoholics Anonymous is, may, who may not have had that experience yet, that spiritual awakening or spiritual experience of the educational variety, whatever that thing is that allowed me to wake up one day and say, Alcoholics Anonymous is, an, is a gift. You know, and, and I want to come back. I, I, I not, not only need to, I want to, and I'm going to. Um, and I, I was thinking about that, and I pulled this reading, if you'll indulge me, from the doctor's opinion in the big book. And it's uh, and this essentially it sums up my alcoholism, like what ultimately brought me to AA, because it wasn't on the wings of victory. I wasn't, I didn't come here because things were going so well. And I was like, let's, let's tackle AA. It was because things were not going so well in my life, and I did not like who I was. And I did recognize that I had a drinking and a drug problem, and, and this was a potential solution. Um, so it says in the, in the doctor's opinion, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. And it continues, after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. 
This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. On the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. So to me, that's a big promise, right? That's, that's I'm just checking my phone, to, I check the time here from the timekeeper. Um, that is my experience, right? When I, I think the, the theme of my, what I wanna share in the next seven, whatever minutes is, when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I did not like Alcoholics Anonymous. I did not want to be in Alcoholics Anonymous. I resisted this program every step of the way. Every suggestion that was given to me, I tried to do the other suggestion. I tried to exist in Joshaholics Anonymous, and it didn't work. Um, and and I failed at that. You know, it got me here. And then when I was here, I had this one foot in, one foot out mentality, which I've come to know as half measures, right? And half measures avail us nothing, as I'm constantly reminded every time I hear how it works. I would go to a meeting, and I would have the big book in my pocket, and I would go meet my college friends at the bar and, and just white knuckle it while they drank, you know, and, and watch them do the thing that I was so accustomed to doing for so much of my drinking career, if you will. And, uh, and I would go to meetings and, and the group would read a paragraph from the big book and I would mock it. Um, five minutes, got it. Um, and I would, I would you know, think to myself, I, it's just like some fourth grade reading class. Why am I sitting in a circle while people read a paragraph? You know, I would sit there while, while individuals shared their hearts out with a locked face, you know, doing everything I could not to identify. Oh, you were a paratrooper in Vietnam? Well, I wasn't, so I must not be an alcoholic. And, and so that, that led me to running away from it, basically. You know, I would get phone calls, I wouldn't return them. People would wanna take my number, I thought they were weird. Um, and, and, and so I, and I drank, you know? And, uh, and the thing that happened was, I, this idea of a, of a head full of AA and a belly full of booze, like the things that had started to sink in in meetings, whether I wanted them to or not, um, made me realize who I became when I drank. And it wasn't someone I liked. It wasn't this person that I thought, you know, this this, this idealized version of myself. I, when I drank, I had this false belief that I became funnier, cooler, more attractive, you know, more a better performer, it, just all of all of that. I'm a literal, a literal performer. I, I was in a band, not a, not a sexual innuendo. Um, but, uh, but you know, all of those things were, were false um, because once I drank after those four months in AA, I started to do all of the things that it describes the alcoholic does. And this idea of running the show, being the director, trying to get everyone to do what I want them to do, my little plans and designs, and if only this person does this and that person does that, then everything's gonna work out and blah, blah, blah. And I, I was essentially embarrassed for myself, you know, I, I was able to step outside of myself for a moment, which I'll call a moment of grace, and say, no, this is not the person you want to be. And, and I had this realization that the person I want to be is on the path that's, that's uh, been, been you know, laid out for me in Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and that brought me back. And going back into a meeting and putting my hand up and saying I had one day uh, was, was um, I guess in a way shameful, uh, scary, um, you know, not, not what I wanted to be doing, you know, cause I, I, I had this whole like negative outlook on the program in the first place that, um, you know, going there and, and saying I couldn't even do this was really like a blow to my self-esteem and ego, but the room lifted me up. Like I remember that, I mean, that meeting, which was, um, it was in July, I guess, or maybe June of 20, 2010, because I, I didn't ultimately, it, it didn't stick, or maybe August 2010, say. That's, that sounds accurate. Um, the room lifted me up. Like, it, it, the whole share, everyone's share was on their own experience of relapse and, and what Alcoholics Anonymous meant to them and this idea of courage. You know, that was the emerging theme from that meeting was courage. And I started to understand and believe that coming here was not an act of shame or, 
or I wasn't some some loser, you know, that couldn't make it on the outside and couldn't drink like other people. It was courageous to recognize that I had a problem and my life was sort of out of off the rails and and not where I wanted it to be. And I wasn't the person that I, I believed that I could be. And recognizing that and then being willing to to make a change, you know, a drastic one at that, and take this thing that was like such a crutch, you know, alcohol and and drugs and all of that. It was just like, I had to use it to feel like a a part of and completely cut that off was a major act of courage, basically. And um, and that, that set me straight for a while. And still, you know, 11 months and two weeks later, I, I used again, you know, and, and that was because I wasn't, I, I drifted. You know, I wasn't doing what you guys said um, is, is sort of the, the overarching idea here. Uh, one minute, wow, that flew. For me anyway I'm sure some of you are like oh my god but um I want to just I'll close in the last minute by saying all of that is not how I feel today because I continued to show up I love AA AA has given me so much it's given me a sense of self it's given me friendships it's given me the uh, capacity to be honest to differentiate the true from the false not all the time, but enough times that when it happens, when it doesn't happen, my sponsor's there to call me out on it. Um, it's given me the ability to be a worker among workers, to uh, build relationships, to show up for my family, um, you know, and, and to show up for this program. I mean, this whole this whole giving back, you know, freely give what's given to me. You guys were there for me when I didn't like AA, and and now and I've fallen in love with it. Um, and I, uh, you know, being here tonight is saying yes to this was the easiest thing for me to do. So I hope I said something that helps you uh, stay sober. Grateful to be a part of, of, of Atlantic Group and Alcoholics Anonymous. And thank you for letting me share. Our main speaker tonight is Vicki. Good evening, everyone. I'm Vicki and I'm an alcoholic. And I'd like to start by thanking Deborah so much for asking me to speak this evening. Um, I've known Atlantic Group since the beginning when I used to live uptown. And, and so I, I just, it has a, a great place in my heart. Um, my statistics are, uh, my sobriety date is October 28, 1989. I have a home group and I have a sponsor. And I, you know, when I hear all of everyone on this meeting, you're, you know, they're just counting days. I, I just, my heart goes out to you because how anyone, how anyone got sober on Zoom is beyond, is just almost beyond comprehension for this alcoholic because when they started, when the, when the COVID sort of buzz started, if that if I had been drinking, I would, instead of getting masks and gloves and you know Lysol, I would have been hitting liquor stores up, getting cases of vodka. I would have been like getting my stash, you know, in place. And then when the lockdown hit, I would have said, "Thank you, God, two weeks in my apartment with my with my stash." Hallelujah. So that's just that was me. That was me. Um, so I just think that, you know, to, to get so you're just, you're really cool. I'm so happy you're here tonight. Um, I was also born and raised in Tennessee, Alex. So it's a volunteer tonight, I guess. And I was born and raised in, in a small town and my parents didn't drink. We didn't have a bar in the house, uh, but um, I had a fascination with alcohol. I, I think it was just in my DNA. Um, when I was a little kid, they had these Westerns on, and this one was called Gunsmoke. And in this Western, there was a woman who ran the saloon, and her name was Miss Kitty. And she flirted with the sheriff. But all, I love this show, because all the cowboys came in, and they would throw back shots, and they get drunk, and they'd play poker, and one would cheat, so the other one would get mad, and he'd knock the table over, and the guns would start, you know, shooting everywhere. And, the bottles behind the bar all would go flying and the whiskey would be, you know, poured all over the place. And the drama was so fabulous. I just was a little kid, loved this drama. 
And I love Miss Kitty. She had this fabulous dress on. She was always beautiful. And I just thought she was it and had the best, just had the best job in the world. And I wanted to be Miss Kitty. So when little girls came to my house to play dress up, then one would be Cinderella. She was gonna get Prince Charming. The other one was always Sleeping Beauty. She was gonna get Prince Charming. And I wanted to be Miss Kitty and get the sheriff or a cowboy. So that the stage was set for, for my fascination with alcohol. And I, I would go to take a bubble bath and I would pretend that the faucet was, you know, the faucet in the saloon and I was, you know, but I was the bartender. So there was this weird fascination. And, and as I said, it must have been my DNA. But um, I, you know, at the same time as a little kid, I was just full of fear, you know. Um, my parents, you know, once we drove past this orphanage and my parents said something and I said, what's that? And they said, it's an orphanage. And I'm like, what's that? And they said, well, children who lost their parents. Well, I immediately just know that my parents are going to die and I'm going to be there and no one's ever going to come and get me. Or, you know, I heard about somebody's house burned down. Well, now my house is going to burn down. I go to school and get fire drills. I'm gonna, my school's gonna burn down. My mother, you know, gives me the, the now lay me down to you know, sleep prayer and you know, God's gonna take my soul, so I'm gonna die in my sleep. I mean, it was just, so there's all these little fears and I think most kids talk to people about their fears, but I just kept all my fears in. No one should know my fears because that would just, I don't know, I just couldn't talk about them. So my, my fears are just, you know, piling up and my mother takes me to church and, and even in church, I'm, I'm watching all these people, you know, have these spiritual breakthroughs and they're going to the altar and they're, you know, they're sobbing and I'm thinking, why don't I feel that, you know? So again, I just, I just feel unattached or, or, or not connected. So life goes along and we moved from the small town I was born in to a larger city. And, and that was a big fear, but we moved and my family sold everything to get a business. And so we moved to this town and, but you know, everybody couldn't have been sweeter and kinder. And I became popular and had a good time. And, I'm, you know, going through life and all of a sudden I'm 14 at a party with my friend Penny and someone gives us a beer and she takes us the first sip and says it's horrible. I take the next and I know it's horrible, but I'm going to have it. So I said, it just needs a mixer. It just needs some orange juice. So I get the orange juice and I drink it and I get it down and I've had my alcohol now, you know, but it did nothing. Nothing happened that night. I didn't, you know, it didn't black out. It didn't get, you know, nothing bad happened. But then about a year and a half later, I had a boyfriend who had a pint of orange flavored vodka. And I took that first hit of that. And that was that moment of like such joy because that burning when I took the sip of that alcohol, that whole body getting warm was just a rush. And I loved it. I thought it was so great. I proceeded to, I think, start chugging it. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, now I'm drinking. So that's the beginning of it, the real beginning of my drinking. And, you know, I got through high school and, and I left high school early, I graduated early, but I was already going to like, you know, fraternity parties at the university and, you know, these PGA parties. Now, that's pure grain alcohol which is, is pretty scary stuff. But I was going to these parties and I'm drinking and now I've left high school early on in college and instead of joining a sorority, I joined a fraternity to be a fraternity little sister because that's where the booze was. So I'm drinking and you know, I'm doing my classes and next thing I know I have an alcohol poisoning. So this tells us I qualified for this fellowship at that age, but um, I didn't know about Alcoholics Anonymous at that, at that point. And probably if I did, I wouldn't have cared. Um, so I finished college and that's sort of a miracle. I get through college and 
a move to New York because I just always wanted to be somewhere else along with all the other feelings of my alcoholism. I wanted to be somewhere else and I wanted to be in you know, New York. It was sort of like alcohol, I was fascinated by it. So I moved to New York and my first job was in the garment center and, and I remember this girlfriend that I'd made at work inviting me to go to lunch and her, she ordered a drink at lunch. And I was like, wow, how fabulous. I'm in New York, you can drink at lunch. Isn't this sophisticated and cool? So now I can drink at lunch and I have roommates and they drink, so I can drink at home, I can drink at lunch. So now I'm just um, really happy. So I go along and I'm not, not drinking every, I'm drinking, but not heavily at that point. The, the heavy drinking started like a, about, well, it started around that time. And, and then I started going to, you know, I met some, another group of friends and, and there was drugs and things going on at that time. So, so of course being an addict, I get into that too. But also, so now I have the, the drugs and the drinking and the drinking does pick up. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm going on a job to the Middle East and I'm told, well, you know, there's Muslims there, nobody drinks. So I, I drink my way there. And of course I get there and the first person I meet has a 10,000 square foot, you know, wine cellar. And then somebody else has marijuana they're growing in the desert. So, you know, this alcoholic just always found it. I always found my booze and I always had it. And I just, you know, just, you know, I'm having a fascinating good time, but the drinking is starting to pick up. And now I'm starting to have blackouts and I'm having them quite often and I'm doing some crazy things in them. And I, you know, like Alex said, you know, I, 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 I went to dinner one night in one country and I came out of the blackout the next day in a casino and I didn't know where I was and the people were speaking yet another language and I'm like well this is interesting and thank god I was with my first husband so I found him and you know things like that now, now if that happened to me today I would call my brain surgeon because I would just think that you know once it, that there had been a bigger tear in my brain or something I would just be so horrified so I'm married and, and to, to my first husband and I'm, um, and he's involved in, and about this time also, you know, all the clubs, every night was a club in New York and I worked hard and I partied hard and, you know, my first husband was involved in this rock and roll club, so I'm there every night and I'm just, you know, I'm just bumping along, just bumping along. And then all of a sudden, my father had been sick for, for like 12 years, had been sick with cancer and my father died and it was sort of like when, when he died that the pain, the pain was so unbearable that my, my drinking just really accelerated, it just accelerated. And my husband would say, please don't drink tonight. And I didn't know this and I don't think he did, but I, I, it wasn't an option that I not drink tonight. It just wasn't an option. So. My drinking is, 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 you know, now bad. And so finally he said, he said, well, you know, you've got to get help. So I go to an outpatient program and they brought these, you know, people came in from AA and this woman spoke and she was lovely. She's bringing her experience, strength and hope. And I'm sitting there thinking, what is she talking about? I just couldn't understand anything that she had to say. I, I was just so, um, I was just so shut down, you know? I'm just really shut down. I mean, you're shut down when you can't hear what another person has to share with you, no matter what it is. But I was just in such, you know, denial and, and, and so then, but I keep going to this outpatient. And then one night they took us out of the place to an out meeting. And now I'm at this meeting with these people from the, you know, from the rehab. And 
um, everybody, the person who, who gets up and said, you know, hi, I'm Vicki and I'm an alcoholic, and everybody goes, hi, Vicki, and I just thought, have I landed in outer space? What? I mean, huh? You know? So I sit there, and I sit through this meeting, and I thought, no, no, uh uh-uh, no, this is not going to work. This is not for me. So I just, like, hauled it, just hauled it up Madison Avenue, found a hotel, ran in, threw myself down at the bar, ordered a martini, and said, please bring it in a bird bath. So that was back to drinking. And I do remember the one thing I remember most about that night was not my drinking, but that when I got home, I was late. And my husband asked me where I'd been, I was late. And when I told him I had gone and had something to drink, I'll never forget that devastation on his face, that sadness on his face. And yet, my self-will selfishness, my just deep, deep, deep alcoholic selfishness thought too bad. I'm sorry, but really, you know. So I'm now back, and I, and it, but it's getting worse because that's progression. And so finally I have a seizure. And I was because I was trying not to drink so much. So I have a seizure. And I had the seizure, unfortunately, in the middle of a big project at Rockefeller Center when I'm supposed to be putting 100 people on ice for a fashion show. And I have this seizure and I wake up with EMTs around me. And like, I just jump up and said, why are you here? And they're like, well, you had a seizure. And I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I have work to do. Like, get away, you know, I'm just absolutely that sick. So I go, oh, you know what? I'm so sorry, my, my, my computer is showing low battery. I'm gonna have to move this, forgive me. And forgive me, it's gonna be very dark. Um, how embarrassing, how embarrassing. Are we still here? Oh, thank you. I'm so sorry. That's very embarrassing. I... Anyway, okay, here we are. Back back to where was I? <laughs> Speaking of blackouts, right? Um anyway, so I um I'm I'm having seizures now and having horrible DTs because I'm trying not to drink so much, you know. Yet I'm at the point also where if I have one drink, I, um, I might be in a blackout. And if I have, you know, gallons and gallons, I, I may not feel drunk. So it's really not a good time. And I, I'm not in, you know, I'm, I'm not, it's not good. And, and I'm also physically, I'm, I'm having horrible physical issues as a result of my drinking. So I, um, I left my husband and in the middle of all this, I leave my husband. Of course I left my husband, you know, he's trying to help me. And he has all of his friends trying to help me and I want them to all mind their own business, but they're not going to, so so I leave. And I'm also, you know, because of, as a result of all this, I'm totally mentally and emotionally bankrupt. I'm morally a toad. Um, I couldn't have spoken at the Atlantic Group at that time because my second language was cursing. And um, I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, hitting the bottom. And so what finally happened was that I did. I finally, I hit a bottom. And when I did, I hit it by having a seizure and I was in a blackout. And I called this dear friend of mine. While I'm in the blackout, I call her and say, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. So 
The next morning, I wake up and I had landed on cement and really banged my face up. And I look in the mirror and I see I, I, I see this this just falling down drunk, this 37-year-old falling down drunk. And my phone rings and it was my friend and she said, I found a rehab for you. So I'm getting ready to go to this rehab. I agree to go and I'm getting ready to go to this rehab. And I was, you know, I'm, I hadn't had a drink in a few days, but of course I'm, I'm like, you know, so, so mokey. I'm calling the rehab and saying, should I have my People Magazine forwarded there? I'm going to be there for a month. Should I bring a backgammon forward? Should I bring a cocktail dress? And this lovely kind woman is saying, no, they're going to have a lot of things for you to read. Um, they'll have lots of activities for you and bring sweatpants. So, so I get in the car to go to rehab and, and there's this other man in the car and he's got this big bottle of gin. Now that was the one, that was the one alcohol, this alcoholic just couldn't drink, even the smell, I just, I couldn't handle it. So I get in this car and I look over and I thought of all the booze in the world, really, really, hello, you know? So. So off I go, and, and I call this place Happy Acres, and and I get there, and it was just, I couldn't believe they're, they're making me go through detox, and I'm like, but I haven't had a drink in days, and they're like, well, sister, doesn't matter, you go to detox, so you go to detox, and then I get out of detox, and they made me head of Saturday Night Live, well, I don't know why they made me head of this, this fiasco, but they did. Now, trying to get people in rehab to write sketches, you know, you can do it. We're sober. We do these things. It's fun. But people in rehab, really? You know what attitudes you're like? You know what attitudes I got? Finally, this one soul took sympathy on me and made me cry when she said she was going to help me. So anyway, that's the adventure begins. and and. I just, you know, they had me start writing about my unmanageability. And I'm, I'm so like, whack on thinking, what do you mean unmanageability? And they said, well, your life. You, you were drinking and, you know, you were doing these things. And so you just need to write about them. So I started writing and, and much to my surprise, it, it, it turns into page after page. And I'm starting to see, oh my God, you know, and I'm going to this group, I'm going to these groups every day and they're, and they're saying, who are you? And they go around the group and everybody's saying whatever. And, and people start saying they're an alcoholic and we're two weeks into this and, I, and I'm running out of who I am. I've told them that I had been a stylist. I told them, well, I'm a daughter. I told them like, oh, well, I, I'm married. I, you know, I'm ready to say I wear a nine and a half size shoe and I'm getting like really irritated. What do they want from me? For God's sakes. And then finally, out of the clear blue, lightning struck, lightning struck. And I said, and I don't know, I know this came from my higher power because it did not come from, from me and, and it just came blurting out of my mouth, I'm Vicki and I'm an alcoholic. And in that instant, I was like the people when I was a little kid in church that fell down sobbing. I fell down sobbing. I had my spiritual moment. That moment that they had, I now had it. I, I had it. I knew who I was. I knew for the first time in 37 years on this earth, I knew who I was. I was an alcoholic. I had been fighting. I had been carrying this weight. I had been trying to kill myself with booze. I had just run amok and ruined my life and ruined other people's lives. And, you know, I had just, you know, run through life with, you know, this oozy in my hand. And, and it was because I'm an alcoholic. So, what a relief. What a miracle and what a relief and what a moment and what stunning grace, just stunning, stunning grace. And, and so now they said I could do the second half of my first step. 
so that was when my steps began. And while I was there, we then moved on to the second step. And, and yes, God is my higher power. And then we got to the third step. And that's where I, I, I just, I, you know, even though I was just as mopey as mud, I, I absolutely, I love the third step. And, you know, to, to ask God to relieve me of the bondage itself. I, you know, I don't know if I really understood completely the bondage itself at that point, but I knew I had to be, be, be relieved of myself. I knew I had to be relieved of myself, and I knew that God had done it and that God would. I knew that God would. I knew that I had, I, I had been saved. And then I, they had me start writing a fourth step. Now, I don't know, you know, there are people who, you know, God bless you if you can just clip along in the steps, but I wrote something and, and they sent me to talk to this woman who was a nun and I talked with her and it wasn't, you know, it, it really, it, it was just an attempt at, you know, the deadly sins. And so, but she did say to me, she said, you know, um, you're leaving and, and there's, you know, the steps are suggestions and, and you need to take them. Because you know you can have you can have a wonderful life in sobriety, and you know I heard it. I heard that, and I heard them saying, you know, meetings meeting makers make it. So when you get back, the first thing you do is you go to a meeting, and then after that, a day in and day out, you just go to meetings and you get a sponsor, and you'll work these steps, and and you'll be okay. So. You know, I did just that. I, I got on a train, I came back to New York, I dropped my suitcase in my apartment, and I ran, thank you, I ran to Lenox Hill. And my sponsor saved my life. She would tell me words of wisdom, like, um, you know, um, if, if you're having a hard time with getting bad mail on Saturday, don't go to the mailbox. Um, I couldn't sleep, so my first sober, you know, girlfriend and I, every single night, because we passed out for so many years, every night we watched this horrible dating show together and had lots of laughs until we go to sleep. And then a year later, we could sleep again. And I had other sober friends who saved my seat till I got to the meeting. And then I started to, you know, do service and get to know more people. And every day I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I knew I was in the place I belonged and I was in the safest place on earth for myself and for and I was safe with everyone around me. And this fellowship started to form not just by being in a meeting but in my heart. My heart started to heal and open up. I got through the steps very slowly to get to four and you know, look at my look at, you know, what really was wrong and, and, and look at my resentments and what harm I'd done. And then but this step, I, I got to like, you know, share my soul and bear my soul with Judy. And, and that was just, you know, what a miracle and just what, you know, another step on the broad highway. And then I went through, on through the steps and, you know, making amends and, and just, you know, what a privilege to heal and what a privilege to have someone guide you in that healing process and to sit in the rooms with all of you and, and have us all share our souls, you know. So I, I, I've had a chance in Alcoholics Anonymous. My, my husband uh, was very, very ill, and I was his caretaker for four and a half years, and guess who took care of me, Alcoholics Anonymous? There are women on this screen that they carried me in my soul. They carried me on in their arms and in their hearts. And when he died, I thought that I was gonna die. And what happened? They carried me through that, and they carried me through grief. And to this day, they still carry me. And they share their pain and their sorrows and their joys with me. And I couldn't do it without them. I just couldn't do it without them. My cousin Myra is on, on here tonight, and I couldn't do life without her. I couldn't do, I just wouldn't have a life, and I couldn't do it without, without this fellowship or without everyone here. And if you're new and if you're counting days, stay on Zoom, go to meetings when you can. There's nothing more exciting than sitting in a room with Alcoholics Anonymous. You just will never feel anything that spectacular. 
And you know that there's this. I'm, I'm, I've been here almost 32 years, and, and I still learn every day. I learn something new. If I just sit down and take my seat, if I just share with others, and if I just take in the, all the wisdom that you guys have given me all these years, and you continue to give me, people with the day give me wisdom. People with every 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 moment of sobriety that that you've given to me, I just can't even. I could never repay the scholarship. I could never repay the scholarship. And I just, I just, um, I think my, I'm not sure if my time is up, but um, I just want to say that, you know, there was this great singer and poet. He said, you know, there's a crack in everything and that that's how, that's how the light gets in. And, you know, there was a crack in my soul and the light that got in was Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, you gave me my faith back. You gave me my life back. Uh, the life beyond the wildest dreams is that I'm a person today who I treat others with courtesy. I treat others with kindness, with love, with patience. Um, I try to be, you know, a messenger of God, a beacon of God to the best of my ability. Um, I, I still have, you know, six and seven. I, I've gone back and looked at that because you know, I, I'm curious about my flaws that still want to like pop up. You know, but but you know, that's that's my relationship with God. God with God and all of you will help me with that. And I know that the power of I have one minute left. Thank you, Ryan. Um, the power of this fellowship is probably I think one of the greatest powers in the universe. And I'm so grateful that I was born and raised in a time of such enlightenment, you know, that, you know, we have a place that we can be relieved of our insanity, we can be relieved of a deadly, deadly disease. And I just will never, ever, ever be able to uh, repay all the love that I've been shown here. And um, just, I have just a heart so full of gratitude. and. I wake up every morning and I have to say my prayers and ask for God's guidance for the day. And I have to meditate and I have to do all that before I open my eyes because that keeps that crazy head in there away. Just like coming day eight and, and being, you know, a, a loving member of this fellowship keeps me sober every day. And I love you all. And thank you so, so very much for, for letting me speak this evening.